listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, it should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. As Rob introduced me, my name is Cody Bachkamp, and I'm a church planner here in Pittsburgh. I'm glad that you have joined us this morning as we've walked through the book of Exodus. We're going to start our reading today in Exodus 30, verse 11, and we're going to go through the end of chapter 31. So if you would read along with me today. Exodus 30, starting in verse 11, says this, The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, Then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among you when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The The rich shall give no more, and the poor shall not give less than a half a shekel when you give to the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. And you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. The Lord said to Moses, You shall make a a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing, You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout the generations. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of the sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and of 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin of olive oil. And you shall make these things a sacred anointing oil, blending as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil, With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table and all of the utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of the burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this is my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall not make no other compound like it in composition. It is holy and shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds anything like it or puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. 
the Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stocky, and unica, and uh, galbanum, sweet spices, with pure frankincense. Of each shall be an equal part. And make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure, and holy. You shall beat some of it very small, and shall put it before the testimony in the tent of meeting, where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make, according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be holy to the Lord. Whoever makes anything like it to use as a perfume shall be cut off from his people. The Lord said to Moses, See how I have called by name Beziel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I appoint with him Aholiab, son of Hashmias, in the tribe of Dan. And I have given all men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, in the tent of meeting, in the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, with all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons, for their service as priests. And the, holy, or, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore, people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in the six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave it to Moses. And when he had finished speaking with him on the Mount of Sinai, the two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. This is the word of the Lord. So, I'm so excited to be with you, Renaissance Church, today. Um, I want to quick, before we actually jump into our text, just kind of uh, overview where you guys have been walking, um, if this is uh, your first time joining us online. In this series, you've been walking through the book of Exodus, and you've been looking at this, this idea that God has made himself known so that he might be made known to all peoples. So I want to give us a quick overview today uh, of where I'm taking this text uh, so that we can kind of uh, get an overview and see our trajectory this morning. Today, mainly, I want to focus on the character and the nature of God. 
and what that means for us as people. In doing that, um, we're first going to see what this means uh, in the text and the context of Exodus. Uh, So we'll see what this means uh, for people living in a time uh, before the coming of the Messiah. And then we're going to see how this text points us towards Jesus. So if you're note takers, I'm going to make this really easy for you. I'm going to give you the main point here up front so that you happen to fall asleep during the sermon, you at least caught the main point of this text. The main point of this text is this. The dwelling of God with his people costs much, but offers more. I'll say that again. The dwelling of God with his people, it costs much, but it offers more. Before we jump in, I want to talk about a quick context as to what we just read. Because we're actually jumping in uh, to this text, yeah, at the start of a chapter, but like in the middle of a uh, uh, a giving of requirements to Moses. And if you haven't read before this, uh, you're likely going to be confused as to what this gold basin is for or why there's this smell good stuff that the people can't have for themselves. Right, what's going on here? is we're talking about the the finishing pieces of the tabernacle being built for the people, right? Exodus 25 verses 8 and 9 tells us what the tabernacle is and what uh, the purpose of it is. It says this, Let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, furniture, so you shall make it. The tabernacle is the place in which God would dwell with his people as they wandered through the desert towards the land that he had promised them. And just as we read, the setup of the tabernacle was specific. It had a lot of different objects and details that had to be followed through on. And it's from that that we kind of entered our text. And so that main point I said is the the dwelling of God. But I think there's uh, five different things that we can kind of draw out of this text uh, that we can see as it pertains to the dwelling of God. The first thing I think we see is the details. In passages like this, it can be easy to skip over these details while reading or teaching or even preaching. But there are a lot of specific details in this passage. For example, we read uh, Exodus 30 verse 11. There's a census that has to be taken. Uh, There's a specific age in verse 14 for that census, uh, for who is to be counted in that census. There's a specific amount that had to be paid for each person numbered in that census, verses 13 and 15. Then if we jump over to verse 22, we see exact amount of spices for the oil and incense respectively. Uh, Verse 25 and 35 through 36, we see how those spices are to be handled and how they're supposed to be mixed. And then lastly, we see uh, in verses 26 through 29 and 36 and 37, we see the exact placement for and use of the oil and the incense respectively. And if we aren't careful, we can just kind of glance over this while reading it before asking the question, what does this tell me about God? I think sometimes we can look at passages like this through the lens of, well, I don't really know what this means for me, or I don't really know what this means to me, so we can just kind of move past it. But I'd rather ask, what does this tell me first about God? Because I think passages like this are vital for your prayer life. And yes, you heard that correctly. Facebook didn't glitch out. Passages exactly like this 
are vital for your personal and your corporate prayer life. Why? I first want to consider who is the one giving out these details. And it's God, right? But, but don't minimize the significance of that statement. We are talking about Almighty God. He is all-knowing, all-seeing. He's the only one who is eternal. He is all-powerful. He is all places at all times. He is the one who created all things with a simple word. That God, the God that is infinitely larger than the universe that we are currently learning is infinitely larger than we ever thought, that God upholds that universe without ever growing tired or weary. That big God gives details like this. This is significant for us in our prayer life because sometimes when we really pray, not like when you're autopilot prayer over dinner, when you actually pray, what do we pray about? We pray about a situation with your spouse or, or a new job or a, a, a situation going on with your kids or, or a sickness in the family. Right? And if we think too long on ourselves without being reminded of the character of God in passages like this, we can begin to think, does God really care about these things in my life? I mean, really, what is one job compared to Almighty God? Right? The things going on in our lives seem like the, the biggest things in our world right now. To us, they're huge, and yet we have this infinite God who cares about small details. He cares about them enough here to tell his people exactly how the tabernacle would be made, exact amount of spices, exactly how it would be set up. The dwelling of God with his people first shows us that he cares about the details. But a second thing I think we can see here in the dwelling of God with his people is the significance. I don't want us to miss the significance of the fact that there even is a dwelling of God with his people. Right? Have you thought about that? That God would even consider or desire to dwell with his people. In the second giving of the law, in the book of Deuteronomy, that's what Deuteronomy means, it's second law, we have passages like this. Deuteronomy verse four, or chapter 4, verses 5 through 7 says, See, I have taught you the statutes and the rules, as Lord my God commanded me, that is Moses speaking, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for they will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and an understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call on him? Right? Notice how... Uh, God here is giving the law through Moses, a law that includes specific details. And he says those specific details will cause the peoples around to marvel. And it's those specific details that lead to the last sentence that says, what great nation has a God so near to it as ours? Right? Can we not see the same two points in our passage? We just saw the details in Exodus 30 and 31. But what are those details pertaining to? They're pertaining to the tabernacle. And what is the tabernacle? Exodus 25 again. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. The dwelling place of God, the nearness to his people. 
right? But this is uh, significant uh, in a greater way that's actually going to transition us into our next point. Because the significance, the dwelling of God with his people is actually found way back in Genesis 3. Because of the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all humanity fell in sin with Adam. That sin resulted in separation from God. Because before that disobedience, Adam and Eve dwelt with God in peace and in innocence without any hindering or any covering. In Genesis 3, when they fell, they tried to cover themselves. But notice, their own covering wasn't enough. God had to cover them. God had to cover them in skins, in animal skins, which means a sacrifice had to be made on their behalf. And then, even though they were covered by God, they were still separated from him. And he still casted them out. Why? because of our third point that we also see here in our text, where we saw the details, we saw the significance, now we see the cost. He cast them out because of the cost of dwelling with God. Because as you've probably heard from others as you walk through this series, and you'll hear from me now, the dwelling place of God is a reflection of his holiness. Right, look at where we see the cost in this passage in Exodus. The cost of the dwelling place of God. Uh, 30 verse 16. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel. You shall give it uh, for the service in the tent of meeting. And it shall bring uh, the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. Verse 21. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they might not die. Verses 31 and 30 through 33 in chapter 30. Right? The, 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 the oil is not to be poured on the body of an ordinary person. They're not to make anything else like it. It shall be holy to them. Whoever makes anything like it or whoever pours something or pours it on someone who is ordinary, they should be cut off from the people. Verse 38. They shall not use a perfume of, of anything like the altar of incense. Or they should be cut off from the people. In chapter 31, and looking at the Sabbath, whoever works on it must be put to death. Whoever profanes it must be put to death or cut off from the people. This is the cost. And as harsh as some of it may seem, it is important for us to understand the nature and character of God, namely his holiness. His holiness is that which sets him apart from us. And for the people of God, here in this passage in Exodus, there had to be clear terms in which they could come towards and enter in to the dwelling place of God as a result of two factors, God's holiness and our sinfulness. Just as we saw in Genesis 3, there is a cost in order that there would be a dwelling with God. That cost is a result of our sin and our law-breaking. Likewise, for the people here, that when God gives the law to them as a perfect and holy judge, right, God would follow through on the penalties for that law-breaking. And while the cost here in this text is tremendously high, God provided temporary ways in which the people might dwell with him and they with him. Those ways, though, were temporary and they were meant to point to something greater. That greater thing is going to be the last thing we talk about. But before that, what's the fourth thing I think we can see with this idea of the dwelling place of God? Where we saw the details, we saw the significance, we saw the cost. Now we see the offer. 
So let's talk about this point because uh, you might have looked through that text as we've read it and now you might be thinking, well, I'm not really seeing anything categorized here as an offer. I want to argue something from this text and actually through the course of Scripture that specifically Exodus 31 verses 12 and 13 contains an offer and then Exodus 31 verses 16 and 17 provides the foundation for that offer. I want to argue here that the offer here is rest. That is rest in terms of salvation, rest from works. And that God actually provides a foundation for that offer in this text. So let's first talk about uh, verses 16 and 17 in chapter 31, the, the foundation of this offer. Verse 17 uh, shows that the foundation of the offer is the creation narrative. Right? We know in the creation narrative, each day God creates, and then it says there is evening and there is morning, the blank day, the first day, the second day. And then it comes to the seventh day, it says God looks at all he created, he blesses it and declares it holy, and then he rests from his work in creation. And then we get later in passages like ours, so jumping from that foundation of Genesis, we get passages like ours where we see the command of rest on the Sabbath as God had provided example for in Genesis. Right, And now we know where we are in Exodus. Right, The people were just brought out of slavery in Egypt, and they're journeying towards the promised land, the, Lord, the, uh, the land that the God had promised to give them, Right? And as they're approaching, he gives commands like we see in ours to rest on the Sabbath. But eventually, as they near that promised land, when they get close, the people of God stop and they send out 12 spies into the land. And they, they, they want to check the land out to see the inhabitants. Of those 12 spies, only two return back, believing that God is able to give them the land. The other 10 fear and say that the people in the land are too strong to give it. Right, so as a, as a result of that disobedience of those 10, the Lord swears that that entire generation, that none of them will enter the promised land. Right, that's Numbers 13 and 14. Now, what does this have to do with rest? Psalm 95 comments on that very moment where the people refuse to enter the promised land out of fear of the people. Psalm 95 verses 7 through 11 says this, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in Mirabah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test, then they put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, these are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." Right, so the psalmist here, commenting David, says they shall not enter my rest. Not my land, my rest. Right, but the rest was actually greater than just the promised land. Why? Because this is Psalm 95. This is hundreds of years after the people have already entered the land, taken possession of the land, and established a set of kings on the land. So then what's going on here? Well, uh... Notice something actually back in Genesis in the creation narrative where we said that during the days of creation, it says God creates and then there's evening and there's morning, the blank day. Well, if we take a note actually of the seventh day, the foundation of our text, the foundation of the offer, the seventh day gives no denotation that the day ever ended. 
Of every other day of creation, there's evening comes and then morning to show that the day had passed. But when the seventh day comes, there is no evening that comes. God rests. Right, so uh, many begin to reason from this that God's rest has no end. Right, his rest is forever, which is why the promise of rest in Exodus remained for them. And again, in Psalm 95 remained for them. So then we get a, a really cool moment where a New Testament author picks up on this. Right, that author is the, the author of Hebrews, speaking to the very people we're talking about. And this is where we get our final point. Right, we saw the details, we saw the significance, we saw the cost, we saw the offer. Now we see the fulfillment. In Exodus 31, in our text, the people are commanded to keep the Sabbath and it is to be a sign forever between God and man that the people would enter God's rest and rest from their works. The author of Hebrews commenting on the truth that the rest of God was more than just an, uh, an offer of land. He says this uh, in Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For the good news came to us just as it had to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed have entered that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's Psalm 95. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken uh, somewhere of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And as those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today. Saying through David so long afterward. And the words already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Psalm 95 again. And catch this. For if Joshua had given them rest. So quick note, we're dealing with Moses here in Exodus. Right, the next generation, the next leader is Joshua, who actually takes the people into the promised land, where they take possession of it. But the author of Hebrews says, if Joshua had actually given them rest, God would not have spoken of it on a day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Where's the fulfillment of this rest? Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The author of Hebrews notes and points to all of this wrapping up our passage, that Jesus is the fulfillment of rest. And he does it by pointing to Jesus as the greater Moses. Right? We know that Moses is the one in Exodus 30 and verse, or chapter 30 and 31, giving this command of rest to the people. And then Jesus um, is seen here in Hebrews as the greater Moses. Hebrews 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. 
For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much as the builder, um, as much glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's houses, a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. For we are his house. If indeed we hold fast to our confession and our boasting and our hope. Right, there's, there's so much more in this passage that I don't have time to get into. Partially because Rob hasn't given me the time to get into it. But uh, I don't have time to get into this idea that Jesus is the fulfillment of the incense altar, which represents the constant presence of God. Or Jesus as the fulfillment of the bronze basin in which we are washed and made clean. Or Jesus as the uh, fulfillment of the sacred incense because his work is the final pleasing aroma to God. Or how we, by taking the gospel to people, right, how taking that aroma to people, to some it'll be a stench of death, but to those being saved is the aroma of life. I don't have time to get into that and how it translates to Exodus 31 verses 1 through 11 and the workers of the tabernacle. But for now, I can leave us with what I do have time for. But the, the person of Jesus, the person in which we find the promise of rest come to its head, that he is the fulfillment of the tabernacle as he is God with us. Because he did not just remain in heaven, he took on flesh and dwelt among us. And catch this, he became ever involved in the details of our lives. And then he took upon himself the cost. He took upon himself our sins. He bore our iniquities on the tree and then rose again to offer new life and rest. Rest from trying to earn God's love. Rest from trying to be good enough so that you just maybe might possibly get to heaven. Right? He is God with us. He is our cost paid in full once for all. He is the promised rest. So I must ask today if you're watching this or if you're here, do you know Jesus? Have you entered this rest? If not, just like the author of Hebrews commanded the people, I want to do the same. Today, do not harden your hearts. Enter this rest. Come to know and follow Jesus today. Rest from your works. But dear Christian, for those of you watching, for those of you here, may you be reminded today that God cares about the details. He cares about your details. May you be reminded that he paid your cost. You brought nothing to the table but the debt that was needed. May you be reminded today that he is your rest. I want you to be reminded to follow Jesus again today. To not harden your hearts to his rest. To not harden your hearts that he paid your cost for you. As we, as we move from this time uh, and into worship of Jesus, I want to just reflect and be reminded of that in prayer. So would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you. God, that you sent your son. God, that you came yourself to, to pay our cost. That you are not a God who is far away and separate from us.